Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Ryan, and joining me this week is my guest co-host, Josh. Hello, Josh. Hello, and thank you for having me back. Yes, I oh, I did it again. See, I did not look up the last time you were on. I did this last week, and we had Dustin on, and it's tradition to like kind of know when the last time you were on. I think it's been almost exactly a year and a bit because we talked about Dark Deity, right? Yeah, and I think I just recently saw a one-year anniversary, so it probably was about a year. Yeah, yes. And you know what? I did this I did this last time with Dustin because I said, oh, what game did we talk about? It was Outriders. And yes, episode 480, uh, FE Days of Old with Dark Deity. That was the last time you were on. And you know what? It was exactly a year if I wait to, if I put, wait two days to post it, it was August 4th, 2021 when we had this chat. Uh, so there you go. Uh, Jocelyn is on vacation still this week. She'll be back next week. Uh, and we'll likely be talking a bit more about the game. We're going to focus on tonight, which is Xenoblade Chronicles three. Uh, I was saying this pre-show. I feel like this was a tough one to chat about. It would have been tough to chat about on my own because I just, it, it's such a, a huge game, and uh, I, I don't think I could have done it without you, Josh, so I really appreciate you coming on the show to, to help me sort of dive into this giant JRPG that we all thought we were going to have like another month and a bit to, to play, because it was originally supposed to come out in September. But yes, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is here, and we're playing it. It's, it's hard to believe, but... Uh, what are your thoughts? Like, I, I know that's a big question to ask, but like, has it lived up to your sort of hopes? Because uh, this has been a, a long anticipated title, right? Yeah, this is one that I, especially I've been really looking forward to. And so far, I haven't really felt disappointed. I've, you know, I for somebody that had a pretty high level of hype, I think, I think it's, it's, it's living up to it, at least for me. Yeah, yeah, I think... You know, for me, as someone who played Xenoblade uh, Chronicles at launch uh, on the Wii, I remember that game had a weird sort of tale. I think it was one of the games that uh, wasn't going to be brought to North America. And there was this huge writing campaign. And, and basically, the understanding was, hey, this has been localized by Nintendo of Europe. Just bring it over to North America. Let's let's get this done. And I think there were a couple games in that sort of docket uh, uh, fan campaign. And obviously, uh, you know, we know the rest. It did launch eventually, limited print um, on Wii. There was a follow-up, Xenoblade Chronicles X, which I I, I never played. I, I didn't touch it. That was on the Wii U. But then we got Xenoblade Chronicles 2 at the launch year for Nintendo Switch. And it was a huge hit. Uh, I started playing it. Stopped for four years, came back to it and finished it, which is like, I don't think I've ever done that before. Uh, and that's all thanks to the Gamers In community for pushing me to do that uh, through our weekly updates. But yeah, now and now here we are with Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Like, it's it's crazy to think that we're getting two of these games in, the, in, in this franchise on one platform. It's kind of nuts. Absolutely. And then they even had a couple of characters make it to Smash. Yes, yeah, and we're going to be getting some uh, more uh, Xenoblade uh, Amiibo, maybe not by the end of the year. Uh, I think probably early next year we'll be getting Pyra and Mithra, and they did confirm that that would be a like a we would get both because they were like a dual character uh, in Smash. So I, th I feel like Xenoblade's come a long way in the last decade, and to think uh, Monolith, the the folks behind this game. Uh, not only have they been insisting with Breath of the Wild 1 and 2 while they've been developing Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and 3, but they also launched uh, a definitive edition of the first one on Switch. So you can get all three of these games on Nintendo Switch uh, at full price, as is Nintendo fashion. You, they're, they're not on sale uh, unless unless once in a blue moon they go around 50 bucks Canadian, but you kind of have to roll the dice on that one. It takes a while to get back to it, but... Yeah, it's uh, it's been a big uh, it's been a big uh, console generation for this franchise, I'd say. But we are playing it. We're playing this new one. Um, 
it's it's like two. It is a whole new story. Um, I hesitate to say a whole new world, but I but I really feel like it is a whole new world. Bunch of new characters. There's no like continuation. Uh, similar to what you would get with a normal numbered sequel. Like I would say, this is probably closer to what you would expect with Final Fantasy 15, 16, you know, stuff like that. Like when people ask like, well, do I need to play Final Fantasy 7 to truly appreciate the story of Final Fantasy 8? It's like, probably not. You can just jump right into 8, right into 7 and not worry about it. And I think the same can be said here with the Xenoblade franchise. Like you don't need to have played 2 to understand 3. It's more of like a world building, you know, head nods to, to fans of the series sort of um situation um versus you know the the same characters like you said this this game is all uh, pretty much all new characters yeah yeah now you might um understand the combat a lot faster if you've played previous games in the franchise and i i remember people saying like when two launched it was a very complex combat system and i and i think it can still be sort of labeled as that but i think it's less complex than the first one i think they they did simplify it a bit but like it's it can feel odd because like the combat is it's all auto battle you have direct control over your character eventually you can swap between your party members and such but essentially you're auto battling and you're walking around and then you have like uh what are called arts you can choose between you know two or three arts to to use in battle and there's some timing to it and there's some strategic positioning to each of those moves and you can queue up certain moves for combos and such. But like that's the basic to the combat is like there there are status effects that you can put in place. There are some, um, I don't even like charged up arts that you can use. And I, I think like that's like the base of the combat, but it's always being layered upon, uh, at least at, at the beginning of the game. Like there's always more to be added uh, we joked that Xenoblade Chronicles 2 was like the game of tutorials, and I th- I think 3 continues that trend. Um, I don't know if you're still getting tutorials. You're in like chapter 4, right? Yeah, uh, up through the end of chapter 3, I can say that there were tutorials the whole time. So I, I, I sort of think that that's a Xenoblade tradition to sort of constantly be building on on the, the combat versus like trying to front load it all for you. Like some games give you like a, a really long tutorial and it's sort of i think because xenoblade wants to do so much they they tend to space it out a bit more yeah yeah now uh you talked a little bit about the combat and we, we can come back to that but i'm i know folks are probably wondering is okay what about the story like where does this and, and for those who are wondering and and kind of been waiting for this warning like we are going to keep this as spoiler free as possible however we're going to talk about chapter one uh free reign like we're not gonna hold back on chapter one and i feel like that's like the first four or five hours of the game and as you pointed out in discord uh or maybe you mentioned this in dms but like it's pretty much the marketing the marketing for this game is solely confined to chapter one yeah outside of like one or two scenes it really was the pretty much the, the marketing was chapter one which surprised me because of you know, we got so much marketing and so much as far as trailers and whatnot that I was expecting that to 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 last much further into the game. And I was like, "Wow, this is a you know, there was a this was a bigger chapter one than I expected." <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really do uh, lay it all out there in chapter one. And I mean, even the the Van Dam stuff that they they give in uh, in the in the trailers, um, it's all it's all in chapter one where they kind of lay out the uh, the big bad. So essentially there are, at the very beginning of the game, you're introduced to three main characters, which are Noah, Lance, and uh, Uni. I think I got all three of them, right? Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm bad at character names. I'm also bad at remembering like all the fantasy names that are used uh, uh, for the cities and, and the different, you know, monsters and enemies and stuff. So, uh, everyone will have to bear with me, and, and Josh certainly correct me if I if I mess these up. But you're introduced to these three characters at the beginning. They are soldiers with uh, Colony Nine. They are they are the Kevis, right? Like that's their group. Yes. Okay. And they are fighting the. Oh, it's Agna that they're fighting. Agna. Okay. I was gonna say Agnes, but that's 
that's not right. It's the Agna. Um, so they're fighting the Agna, and uh, it's it's very much set up as like very early on. It's set up as like okay, they and I might have been confused, but like they live for ten years and they get ten terms, or they live for a year and they have ten terms. Uh, how does that work? Yeah. So the way I understood it. And like the second part of that, they really haven't gotten into much, but like just based on like the very beginning of the game, um, it seems like, like, yeah, when the, the queen or whoever creates them, they get, they live for 10 years and that's that they all have that weird little tattoo with like where the red in the tattoo disappears, like as long, you know, as the 10 years run out. Oh, okay. Right. So they, they live for 10 years then. And yeah, theoretically, the terms, you know, there's not a lot, uh, at least in the early game, as far as what that part of it means, oh. you know, like, as far as like, do they get multiple terms or not? But but you're right. Yeah, that is that is what they say. 10 years, 10 terms. Right. And, and they might not even say years. They might just, as you said, they might. It's hard. It's but yeah, there's this like lifespan to, to these soldiers. And it's very much set up as like it's, it's very. uh I want to say like very drab, very down at the beginning where it's like, it's essentially setting up like this constant fight between these two factions where their sole purpose is to fight and to be born from these tubes, to be raised as soldiers and to basically have them go out and fight these battles. And there's even like a ranking system for each of the colonies. You know, if they do well in fighting other colonies, they rank up, they get better perks and there's some sort of life force that charges this. It again, this is a JRPG folks. There's like a flame clock that, uh, will charge when, whenever life force is absorbed. Uh, am I getting that correct? It's that's, it's basically like the long and the short of like why they're fighting in the first place. Cause they want to, they get to take the life force of the, the people they defeat. Right. Yeah. So that's sort of set up at the beginning and like, it's it's clearly like our main character Noah is is clearly like you know uh he's not having any of it like he's starting to question it you can see it just in the animations uh his facial animations and stuff like his character is starting to question it and there's this whole thing about the the homecoming where these characters are basically like if they survive their 10 terms they're sort of like sent off like they're uh ascended um they basically turn into glowing dust um, and the queen shows up and it's a big deal. And it's always like, oh man, I can't wait to, they can't wait to make it to their homecoming. And and that's the general setup at the beginning. It's like, you're, you're interacting with these characters and you're thinking like, okay, like, is this what we're going to be presented with? And of course not. There is this, there, there are these moments where very early on where it's like, no, like we are going to break the system. Cause very clearly what what's going on is there are more nefarious folks behind the scenes that are benefiting from whatever they've whatever system they've set up here because again like it all feels very manufactured at the very beginning of the game at least i would say yes Uh, you know with the it's you know with the two like uh, sides just going at it sort of seemingly endlessly (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and that and again like i think for me i've been playing in chunks um it's been very tough to find like a good chunk of time to sit down. And I think if you are looking to play this game, uh, I think being able to play chapter one in one or two sittings would be really beneficial because they, they, they spend some time with the soldiers. And again, it can, it's, it feels a little stale, but they do, they do their very darndest to kind of give it, um, some, some good, um, personality and such. But it's not until like near the tail end of chapter one where you do get the full party together, you unlock some more abilities and powers, you get to experience the bigger bad, and um, you're off on your adventure, essentially. Uh, And that does take time, like with any JRPG or any RPG in general, like it it takes time to get going. Uh, I think chapter one for me was about four hours, I'd say. I think I, I moved through it pretty quick. But uh, yeah, all in all, I was really excited once it got going. There's literally a scene where I was a little bummed because all the characters are wearing uniforms. So I was like, oh, man, it's, this is what we're going to be roaming around in for 150 hours. And there's literally a scene that I think was written 
and scripted in a way to basically address those concerns where it's like they find a box of clothes and each character gets their own unique outfit. And I'm like, perfect. This is what I was, <laughs> this is the RPG I was looking for. Everybody looks vastly unique, all in different uh, colorful outfits, and we're ready to take on the world. And I was, I was so excited by that scene uh, just to, to have all of our characters' personality, uh, you know, come to life there. So that was really fun. But uh, yeah, like it's a, it's a really, it's a really fun experience to to sink into this game because there's so much to it. And I, I, I've only just scratched the surface, but I know, I know you've, uh, you've, you've played quite a bit though. So like, in terms of, you know, the characters and such, like, uh. Did you want to talk a little bit about, you know, the different characters from both factions once you do get like your full party together? Oh, it's, it's just as far as like your your main party. Yeah. So uh, you already mentioned uh, the three from from Kevez are Noah, uh, Uni and Lance. Um, and the way that they they do it is the sort of there's three from each side that end up coming together and uh, and each one like fills one like party role at least to start as far as tank healer and damage dealer um so then you get one of each on the other side too so uh um you get mio senna and tyon i think that's how it's yeah tyon yeah and i'll say this about the different classes like in terms of the the JRPG or, or the RPG in general, uh, I should say, just the archetypes of you know damage, tank, and healer. Um, even though there are those three class types on both uh, the Kevis and the Agnes side, um, they're different classes, right? Like they have different weapons, they have different abilities. Like they're very, they may both be healers, but they're unique. They play. Uh- you know they 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 do play significantly differently like just um like one that sticks in my head is of the two tank uh characters you get to start one is like a defensive like blocking tank more traditional tank character and the other is an evasion tank um so she's more about like the enemy like misses her a lot instead of act you know instead of blocking things so you, you know you their abilities end up seem, seeming pretty different too because of that yeah yeah and from a healing sp- perspective you have tyon uh which you've probably seen in the marketing who has i i guess like what i would would basically be like fly- they they say they're flying cards but they're more like flying paper airplanes or 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 flying origami of some kind like it, yeah but they seem to be alive like he also has one that hangs around with him as well am i missing something there i i have seen him like talk to to one of them a couple of <laughs> okay. times but they as of now they have not exactly explained how that works but i have seen him do that yeah, because most of the time they're like, we- like I'm not sure if weapons is the right word, but he can like move them around and they can attack and defend and make shapes. Yeah, which is it's very creative uh, weapon type, to be honest. Yeah, uh, honestly, I don't. I mean, I mean, I hesitate to say I don't think I've seen anything like that before. And I know someone's like, you know, will will mention something that it's inspired by or or whatever. But to me, it's it's very. Uh, it's very unique. I have not seen, you know, you have your hammer, you have your giant sword that kind of is shaped like a shield. Um, you have your, your, your general sword. Uh, like I've not made it too far, but I mean, the game is called Xenoblade. So it's probably not a, a spoiler to say like they do reference their weapons as all weapons as blades that obviously if you played Xenoblade Chronicles two, that will, that will, you know, maybe, you ring some bells in your head as like oh blades um but you know they they don't they don't they don't have personalities uh like they did in uh in in Xenoblade Chronicles 2 like the weapon outside of Tyon's weapon they appear to be strictly weapons but with Tyon they uh it it's it, it seems to be they seem to be alive uh at least one of them cuz he, he like you said he does talk talk to one of the characters uh every once in a while but they, you know it's they, as you said, they they have not referenced what that is yet, and obviously, if you've played other Xenoblade games, you know like there are references in there, but it, they are peeling that layer by layer, and they take their time. They are focused on the unique story they're telling for this Xenoblade Chronicles game, 
And I think I've said this before on the show, as well as maybe in the mini and in Discord, that the references to past games, and, and you alluded to it as well, are very few and very far in between. But if you if you keep your eyes peeled, you'll you'll see them. But it takes them time. They're more focused on the story they're telling here. And and they'll get to the connections, you know, down the road. Uh the more the more um specific ones. If it's anything like two, it'll be closer to the back half of the game. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. Two again, two focused very much on the story it was telling and and then eventually got around to connecting them and and i think in those moments i always felt like i always felt like two was oh man we get to make a we get to make a sequel in this in you know inspired by this world and and what we've created before that's really cool let's let's kind of connect them you know uh near the end when like where we can or whatever um, and again, that's a little bit of a spoiler, but again, it's a, it's a five-year-old game. And again, it's such a small part and it has no, in my mind, doesn't have like a huge weight on the journey. Right. Uh, but it's there and, and yeah, but in three, like, I feel like, oh, wow, we, we, we get to make another one of these. This is really great. And I know there's articles out there where they said like, so is this the last one? Like, no, man, we're, we're going to keep doing this. Uh, if we, if we get a chance, we'll make a four or five, six, you know, whatever. So I feel like like Final Fantasy, they'll probably, as we go, and again, I haven't finished three, but I feel like like Final Fantasy, as they move forward with these games, they might, you know, make them less and less connected and just tell like a more unique story, similar to what they've done with Fire Emblem. You know, like early on, they were more connected, and then all of a sudden, it's like, no, this is going to be, you know, a whole new story. I guess um, the only thing that might stand out to past players is the two sides in then the the war that we mentioned are very much based on like one from each game with Keves like representing Xenoblade one sort of aesthetic and Agna representing Xenoblade two. Yes. But like if you didn't know that it wouldn't you know really wouldn't affect your enjoyment of the game if you were new to the series. That's just like a like a cool thing to notice. Yeah. And and honestly, like I I I haven't gotten this, this far, and as someone who hasn't really played a lot of Xenoblade Chronicles One, you mentioning that it's like, oh yeah, that's actually a really interesting point because you do see a lot of those similarities with uh, two uh, with Agnes, and even in us talking about you know uh, Tython's like you know living weapon t- to a certain degree, um, there there is something to that, and I think you know as fans as the of the first two played them a lot like you could be looking at this like oh man i can't wait to see where they go with this and as someone who maybe hadn't played those two it's like you you just get to enjoy the story that they're laying out and i mean you don't need to know those layers if you do or look it up later it's like oh that's really neat i might go play those other two so uh and it's a really good opportunity because they're all on the same platform but um yeah like so you you do have the two factions and i mean as we said at the end of chapter one like your six characters three from each faction are uh basically left abandoned by their um uh, respective uh factions and they and then you have to band together and you're off on your own to kind of figure out who this bigger bat is because uh some random dude crashes in a ship and says oh there's more to life than just fighting and uh i'm not doing it justice because it is a great scene where van damme shows up and and he's basically um, explaining to these these six kids, stop fighting. There's a bigger war here. Have you never even questioned the fact that like you guys just fight until you die and fight more and more and more? It's it's worth noting that he is an an older guy compared to every other character. Like, yes, in the, in the soldiers' side. Yeah, and all, like all of the. <laughs> I think he even says, like, you might be wondering what these markings on my face are. They're wrinkles. And like, they've never seen that before. Like, no one lives past. I mean, what I would assume is like the age of like, no one appears to be over the age of 30 where they, you know, who lives. Maybe even that's stretching it, maybe like 20 something. Like, they're all quite young, right? Yeah, they don't. I don't know if they ever like call out like an exact age that they're supposed to be. But yeah, it it definitely comes across to me as like early 20s maybe yeah. at the oldest yeah so there is that moment where like van am he's got this like weird um he's pretty the basically you're given a mission as noah 
and his crew to like basically find this um this thing that's letting off like this uh this you know like a power surge of some yeah, kind like a power surge you go to it and obviously the bag you're the op- opposing faction is going after it as well and it turns out it's van damme with this like weird capsule thing and um that's what's giving off this large amount of energy and then a mysterious foe appears which uh calls himself morbius uh i think is it morbius or Mo- mobius i'm i might be confusing it i think it's mobius but i i think it, it's hard to tell just because of the um the accents so some of the characters pronounce it differently than others right but i, th- I think it is mobius though and I, and I love that they've uh like we talked about xenoblade chronicles one being ported to north america using the european uh uh localization they've continued that trend with two and three now and you're right like so you know mobius uh he shows up and i got a very like venom feel like this guy like really enjoys being the bad guy uh and yeah he was sort of like strutting at one point yeah literally yeah and he he even so you do defeat him by uh van damme like on on basically like again chapter one is all like setting up everything and you saw this in the marketing there's this new um ability it's the ouroboros where you uh two of the characters merge and turn into this like larger character and it's sort of like a power move it's uh similar in vain to like when in god of war you you hit the two thumbsticks and you enter rage mode or uh bayonetta's has something like that too where you turn into like a, a giant hair monster <laughs> i'm thinking there are obviously better examples than that <laughs> um but uh yeah you you get that moment where you turn into the the orboros where your two characters merge um and uh morbius is just like well we'll chalk that up as a loss for me and i'll see you later and he basically just like vanishes but not before cursing your your crew with basically like now everyone's your enemy and he turns like with the blink of an eye, he turns everyone against you, and that's that's how basically the factions uh, turn turn against what were former allies, right? So they they uh, it was interesting that they had they had you walk try to walk back to your colony at that point, and then get like rejected instead of like just moving. Like they actually had them go back and realize that they they were like angry at them. Yeah. Yeah, it was good the way they handled that where you do get the journey back with Noah's crew, but then afterwards you actually get a moment where you check in with uh, Mio's crew and she's they're already being chased and shot at. So they kind of skip over like Mio's crew walking back and you you get right to like they're running away and and then you have direct control over them until you meet together. And I, I thought that was a really well done way of like introducing you to three new classes without uh bogging you down with what you've already learned like they say okay you've got these three down and you know more of their story now let's go quickly check in with these folks before we bring everybody together yeah it was a very yeah it was a very good way of doing it and you know essentially like it's from there the game just really gets going and you start off on this journey to basically figure out what's going on figure out who the big bad is figure out who the real enemy are and i think you know you get the standard uh we saw this a lot i think with tales of arise where you had these two warring factions that were suddenly having to work together you know enemies turned allies and there were there were a lot of those like conversations that would come up uh in cutscenes where these characters who would normally not interact are, are interacting and i think you get that right off the bat with xenoblade chronicles 3 where these characters are having really interesting conversations and of course there is like you know two-thirds of the group are like yep this is our situation now let's make the best of it but there's always like one one character on each side that's just like really stubborn and wants nothing to (laughs) nothing to do with it um although lance does uh come over pretty quick like he moves he's he moves on pretty quick but uh tie on not so much (laughs) it's it's funny that you you bring up tales of rise um as part of you know talking about the characters because I that wasn't the only time that that called that up for me because they added the system once you get going with your full party of of camps where they they sort of you know which ends up being good you know just like Tales of Arise uh, had had the same system 
because you get to to sort of not only do they bring together a lot of like the the ui sort of mechanical stuff so you can like update and rest your characters and save and all that but then they also take that opportunity to do story moments um and sort of like more like quiet like character moments you know which which is they didn't have those they they did have them but they were all like along the way there wasn't like a camp per se which i thought that was just an interesting mechanic to add this time and and do very much like tales of arise yeah i love that addition in this game where um you do get these rest spots and it's a it's a critical part that they've brought forward from two where you get uh bonus xp from your battles and it kind of like saves up and it's stored in a pool and it, and it's not like you know demon souls or whatever where you die you lose it it's, it's always there um at least i assume i i don't think it, i don't think you lose it right it just sticks around yeah, I think it does stick around. Yeah. So you have to basically spend it by going to a rest point. And this is to encourage you to, I think in two is to encourage you to like visit the towns more often. Cause there's so much to do outside of towns and quests and you can kind of get, you know, like, Oh man, I should really go back and buy some stuff or, or check in with quests and whatnot. So, but in this one, it, it just, it's a carried over mechanic, but you, you basically have to bonus level up your characters uh, through this rest point and uh i i love i don't know if they had this in in two but i love that you can just hit one button and it just maxes everybody out if that's what you want to do uh i don't remember it from two i don't remember either but that that you know that definitely is a you know a time saver and i think it's sort of taking those sort of things mostly out of the like a big city area and and having them like as part of these camps and or part of the main menu is sort of like a trend that i'm seeing like writ large for this game is because a lot of stuff that you used to have to go back to town or like go find a vendor or something to do in two are now like either right in your main menu or part of your camp so it 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 definitely makes you feel a lot more in control of like your progression mechanically as well yeah yeah it, uh like I, I think i'm just starting to see the camp sort of take um take uh take form like i think um right off the bat like it's it's mostly just rest save and uh, uh clean clothes yeah as you go on they they add more um like other uh you know mechanical additions as well but yeah they the clean clothes is is interesting because if you if you never do that then they do sort of add this like dirt sheen to your your characters <laughs> okay interesting yeah it was like what does this even do like okay well hey we'll we'll see what it does but uh i did not realize that they have that sort of like visual touch like the longer you're adventuring the more grimy you get I noticed it more on their like military uniforms in part one because they were so like crisp and black and for Kevez. Um, right. I haven't noticed it as much since then once they all get the colorful outfits, but I think it's still there. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we mentioned the visuals a little bit. Like, I think that uh, I was I was having this conversation with uh, with Crofton about, you know, he's looking for a JRPG that he wants to pick up for his vacation and he's eyeing Xenoblade. And I, and I think Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is is probably the way to go. But, um, you know, he's talking about Tales of Arise. And, and I did say, like, graphically, it's not really fair to compare the two between Tales of Arise and Xenoblade Chronicles 3 because you're basically comparing the PS5 uh, to the Nintendo Switch. And, I mean, if you want to be generous, you're comparing, like, maybe... Or if you want to be a little more try to get them closer together you might be comparing like an upgraded ps4 game to to the switch but even then still it's like you know the switch has less horsepower but i think they do so much with the switch with this engine that it is it's 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 crazy what they're able to ring out of this thing like even in docked mode or sorry even in handheld mode like this thing runs at a smooth it feels like it may not it might not be 60 frames but it feels smooth it feels you know higher than 30 frames and it does not lose its its uh i don't want to say fidelity but it it still looks like a beautiful beautifully animated uh jrpg like it, it looks great like there's some muted colors here and there especially early on in the game but i think as you get going there's more to see and such but 
like, how do you feel about the visuals and the way they've been able to like harness the switch in this way? I think uh, you really start to see it once things open up and you get some of the wide shots where you get like the sky and then like, you know, you can sort of see things in the, the background a little bit and the, you know, you get like more of like the whole vista of everything. I feel like if there's anything that this developer does like super well, it, it's like they, they really set a scene as far as like picking the colors and, and, and all the environments especially once you get going, um, you know, especially, and, you know, like you said, it being on the switch, um, it's not, they, they can't sort of go, you know, as far as, as some, some other, you know, devs might be able to on a different platform, but they, 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 you know, you don't, you don't really feel it when you're playing cause they, they, they make it look like really beautiful. And um, I guess the other place that I, that I noticed that is, you know, at the end of chapter one, when you're getting, when you have all that like close dueling before the the big bad shows up between the party members, yeah, I I I've always felt like visually speaking that like the the fight like the you know the fights have always that's been something that you know c- keeping from two they've always been been quite good at I I felt yeah no the 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 way they're able to choreograph those fights and you know they keep the action very tight very fast uh like all the cutscenes are great like all the voiced um and the reason i say like the voiced dialogue cutscenes um because there's there's kind of two uh types of cutscenes there's like the standing and talking which are in voice acted and then there's like the animated more traditional cutscenes where it's all animated and the camera's panning and it's it looks really really well done and it's it's awesome um uh, but that being said, like even the dialogue where it's where it's just you have to read the text, it's it's also it's fine. It works. I mean, Tales of Arise did this as well, where they had sort of two types of conversations going on. They seem to mostly keep it to if they're going to be non-voiced, they mostly keep that to to sort of like summary sort of conversations like and now we're going to go here because this we've just learned this information like that sort of conversation. It tends to be the ones that are unvoiced. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's very much like it, it's reestablishing where you need to go or, you know, oh, remember this piece of information or it's it's uh, it's like a, I wouldn't necessarily say like just flavor text, but it's it's there to kind of, you know, point you in the right direction. It's not critical lore information they're dropping. That's usually delivered through cutscenes. And I and I think all the cutscenes look great. Like when they, you know, the models that they've, you know, put together for all the characters like when when you are uh when the cutscenes are zoomed right in and they're having conversations and as you said when they're battling like you kind of forget you're playing it on a switch to be honest uh unless you are playing handheld but like even when you're playing handheld you're mesmerized by like holy crap this is amazing like and and two did this as well where they they designed it in a way where the cutscenes obviously are are pre-rendered or um maybe not pre-rendered but they're done in a way where they they don't lose fidelity when you're playing you know um docked or undocked but they look great and i think they rival like some of the other you know outside of i'd say maybe like final fantasy 7 remake um i don't have obviously a lot of jrpgs to compare it to but i'd say they like they come close to tales of arise i'd say like they do a really good job at presenting xenoblade chronicles on the switch like no longer is this like oh it's it looks great for a wii game right like i think this is one of those experiences where they've really done a great job with the hardware um now would i love to see like a xenoblade chronicles 4 on like a nintendo switch 2 like to see what that looks like it would be pretty pretty interesting to see that but i'm i'm content with what they're offering here like i think this looks really good yeah, and it's interesting that um, with some of the some of the cutscenes, they're even able to pull in because as you get different classes, you get different um, like outfits for your characters based on the classes. And some of the some of the cutscenes that aren't um, you know they're they're able to pull in like what your character is actually wearing, so it might look like different you know depending on what class you choose to level for what character. That's an interesting point that you mentioned there, like with you know, uh, bringing in sort of the the class outfits that you get when you uh, 
you're able to swap out your classes and such. And that's a feature that's in this game. And it's in, it was included, I think, in the Xenoblade Chronicles 3 Direct, where they talked a lot about the flexibility um, for, I think, the first time in the franchise of, like, basically any character can play any class. And they do introduce this to you very early on in Chapter uh, 2. And I know this is getting a bit outside of our spoiler-free realm, but we're going to keep it to mechanics. We're not going to talk story. But essentially, our characters are linked in a way where they can kind of swap their classes around. Um, so similar to the Ouroboros sort of merging, um, these characters say, oh, I can I can now, uh, you know, Noah can be Mio's class and Mio can be Noah's class and, and vice versa and such. And... Uh, they also not only do they swap their weapons but they swap outfits as well the outfits are sort of tied to the class as well and like we i I mean i'm assuming like eventually you get to the point where you get the the hero classes that that pop in like are not necessarily guest characters but are the uh you can have like a seventh slot in your party right yeah and it's 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 cool because they they like you said they double as a like a, a final party member and also way to introduce new classes to the party too because then once you once you do their their quest then you you get their their class basically which it it makes the whole thing very customizable because you can you know like you said um you can any character can be any class um some of them have like a slight bonus as far you know as far as um i think there's like a a letter ranking with like c b you know and a and s um but 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 any can any any character can choose any class so so you know you can really sort of build the 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 moves and 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 whatnot you know to your own tastes yeah like though and that's the that's a great way of explaining it and like i found that you know where i'm at it's all tutorial based so it's like you know, use these classes for a little bit and then see where, see where you like, see where you land. And you can kind of, uh, yes, you're right. There are classes like they are set up in a way where like this, this one's very good for this character and gives them, you know, there's a bunch of letters like grades for, for whether they suit that character. Um, but you can kind of like, Oh, I really like this class and I really like this character. So I'm going to pair them, pair those two up. And now every time I play that, that character like i'm playing as one of my favorite classes and then you can actually mix it up like you can be like okay i want to play as this other character but i want to play as you know i don't like their their base class so i'm going to go and switch over to this other one and it, i mean it, they don't they don't give it to you all at once like they start with like each character can access one other class and then it, it eventually does expand from there and i'm sure like over the course of 150 hours i don't even know how much they said like how many hero classes there are but it looks like quite a few. Yeah, like I felt like they said there was maybe like 20 or 30, but yeah. So anyways, it's a big game and I'm sure we'll be talking more about it uh, when Jawson returns and as the summer continues. So look forward to that as we head into the, you know, the summer of Xenoblade Chronicles 3 uh, and hopefully won't be, you know, checking in four years when Ryan finishes Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Hopefully we don't get to that. Uh, I hope to I hope to continue my adventures very soon. Before we head into the news, let's chat about Patreon. Patreon.com slash the gamers in. That's how you can support the show directly. And I want to thank our August patrons, Matthew W and Tyson. Thank you so much for being our August patrons. And before I know I already said this, but before we head into the news for real this time, um, our next gamers in game club will be starting very soon in august as promised and we've set up our first milestone discussion that will be starting on sunday august 14th and you may be wondering well what game are we playing what game are we going to be playing this time we're actually going to be playing pyre so uh if you head into the discord bit.ly slash tgi discord you'll find in the game club channel our first milestone and this time our game club uh leader uh we we haven't really come up with a like a an official name yet but the person who's going to be leading us through this journey will be lc or lord commander in discord so thank you so much for the help uh taking us through the journey of pyre we'll be starting very soon so definitely check in on discord for that 
fun. All right, the news. Uh, Josh, how do you feel about Mario Kart 8 and the Booster Course Pass? I haven't picked this one up, but I thought it was interesting when I saw the announcement for it. That they seem to be pulling maps from like a lot of past ones, so it seems like regardless of what game you, you like, there's probably something for you in this. Yeah. No, it's I, I think um it's interesting. Like when you think about Mario Kart 8, it's a original game that launched on the Wii U, ported to the Switch at the launch of Switch. I think it came out in like March, May-ish area. And now we've got this DLC booster pack that is part of the expansion pack. So if you subscribe to the N64 level of Nintendo Switch Online, you have access to this at no additional cost. And yeah, they're doing six waves uh, of courses, eight courses per wave. And they are, for the most part, pulling from older games, uh, which has been a staple of the Mario Kart franchise uh, for a while is to kind of like remake old uh, tracks in the new engine. And I think what's unique about these booster course passes uh, is, or uh, courses is that they're pulling from the mobile game tour as well. So that's really cool to see because again, like those are very mobile tailored um, tracks and they're bringing them over to the proper Mario Kart game. And yeah, I've, I played the first, uh, the first course pack. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm looking, obviously looking forward to more. I, I mean, you can either get it through the expansion pack or you can pay the, I think it's like 25 bucks Canadian, um, which is like a steal for uh 48 courses 48 new courses essentially a whole new mario or a whole new mario kart game to be honest right yeah i i i played the the original launch of it but i haven't i haven't tried any of these courses but, but yeah that's that's a that's a lot of maps <laughs> that, that that's not just uh you know a couple that's that's you know a lot to sink your teeth into yeah and so, I mean, to give everyone an idea of like the cadence that they've been dropping these at. So I think the first one came in March. We're looking at this one launching August 4th. Uh, so, yeah, like every four or so months uh, to get a new a new set. And they are saying that all of them will be out by the end of 2023. So that's sort of the promise they've made here. But like, honestly, very... Um, very uh high value in terms of like this set of dlc i nintendo dlc is usually expensive but i felt like this one was really well priced so definitely check it out uh well you know our other news story here is the backbone one which is a controller uh, exclusive to ios uh i guess i should say iphones um it's this shell that you put your iphone into they announced this week that they're getting a uh, officially licensed controller for PlayStation. So there's no difference, you know, in terms of the controller's ability um, to play, you know, different games, Xbox, Apple, whatever. Uh, it's just the look and feel of the controller is going to be using like the more uh, the dual sense look and feel. So you got like the transparent buttons, obviously the triangle, square, circle, and, and X and whatnot. But uh, yeah, like, does this, uh, have you have you ever played around with any of these like sort of uh, phone controller uh, shell things? I haven't. I've, uh, I've, I've looked, I've looked at some of the ones that uh, the Discord community has talked about, uh, but, but I, I haven't tried it myself. Mm-hmm. It's, so I have a backbone one and I, I wish I could say I've used it, um, a lot. Like I really, from what I've used it, I love it. It's really good. It's, it's a, it's a very cool way of, uh, playing games on your phone. I think where I struggle with it is twofold. Like you have to take the phone into your case, which is like one additional step where you're like, Oh, I gotta, well, I want to play phone games. Oh, I gotta take it out of the case. I gotta plug it in and get it all set up. Um, but in terms of like remote play, I think it is one of the best ways to play because I mean there is this like inherent you know lag when you're using touch controls and then there's even more lag introduced by by doing you know remote play whether it's through cloud gaming or through just remoting to your Xbox or PlayStation in the other room. So what the physical hardware does is it, I think it cuts out like that you know that touch screen lag that you experience and you're now using like tactile buttons that you're used to so it's just it feels like a closer experience and 
I mean, I played uh, quite a bit of um, uh, our last game club, 13 Sentinels. I would I would play in the backbone one controller remote play to the PlayStation and it worked great. It was awesome. Um, it, it was a it was a great experience. So I, again, like there's no difference between the two backbone one controllers. Um, I mean, the biggest difference, I guess, would be going forward. Like, I think the Xbox version has gone has gone on has has historically gone on sale so it might take a while for the playstation one to to start going on sale so that might be the biggest difference here but there's no difference in terms of software or hardware capabilities um but if you're a fan of playstation and you want uh you want a a cool uh, playstation looking backbone controller then you can go pick that up right now if we know anything about people that play video games is that there's definitely controller preference, so I can see people wanting the ones with the PlayStation buttons if that's if that's what they're used to. Yes, yeah. I mean, I mean, again, if you're primarily doing uh, PS Remote Play and you want to keep the the buttons uh, specific to to your platform, I, I can totally see that. You know, um, it could be very. I will admit, it was very confusing playing Thirteen Sentinels and having Xbox buttons when all the prompts were like the the playstation button so it's uh there's something to be said there for sure um but we do have one final story and it's kind of uh, a little connected uh this is a story about logitech announcing a dedicated cloud gaming handheld that supports xbox cloud gaming and more and they are going to be working with tencent on this mysterious handheld and i think that's the key bit here this is not a shell this is not a controller that your phone is going to fit into. It, it really sounds like this is a new handheld system they're working on that is going to be, I mean, maybe I'd kind of place it close to the Steam Deck, but it would obviously have less guts in it. It would just need to be able to basically connect to all these cloud services to to serve the game to the to the screen so you can interact with it with this controller. Like, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Like, are you... Are you interested in getting like a like a device that kind of would support all these cloud gaming services? I think what I worry about with cloud gaming is just sort of where the quality is going to land. You know, is it gonna, is it going to as far as you know, is it going to be laggy or is it going to be you know relatively you know tight as far as that goes? Um, you know, but if it's if it, if it works really good, you know. It's it's it, you know it could definitely be something that going forward people might, might you know I personally I haven't been attracted to cloud gaming yet but you know that's not to say if it, with the right device somebody might pull me in yeah I mean I think uh, for me you know cloud gaming has always been something that has been interesting in in partnership with being able to play the real deal on the console. Um, you know, uh, for me, it's always been about remote play. Uh, I, I have used uh, Xbox Cloud Gaming, but, you know, in in partnership with, oh, I don't have time to turn the controller or the console on. I'm just going to boot up uh, the Cloud Gaming real quick and and play a couple of um, levels. I think it was uh, it was actually a boyfriend dungeon that we were playing last year. I would, you know, pop in, do a quick dungeon just via cloud instead of like making sure, okay, like turn the Xbox on, connect the phone, remote play in, or or just sit down on the couch and play it. Like I just wanted to, I think it was also testing the Backbone 1 controller at the time. So like for me, it's always been in conjunction with the more traditional experience. But like, I, I think I think when you look at this, like I think where it has to, where, where this could shine is like, it's a lower price point, you know, cause it is streaming only. You don't need, like when you look at a phone, like, it it's not just streaming in mind like there's that phone has enough hardware in it to do much more like play dedicated games make phone calls you know take pictures but if you remove all that extra stuff and you just focus solely on like i need it to have a solid you know uh networking component to connect to the internet uh like a high speed wi-fi and just stream stream these games and have a really good button layout and controller setup and I think like when when you look at that as a as a concept, like that's really interesting to be like it, the price point has to be low, though, like not like so low that it's uh, I don't think it'll be under 100 bucks, but like definitely got to be under 200, I'd say, like if it's just 
streaming, right? Yeah, you know, because if you get too much more than that, then you're going to be competing with, um, you know, full systems as far as, you know, Switch or, or, or Steam Deck. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and even then, like, if you already have a phone, are you really going to want to spend 200 plus on another device that 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 you can just do on your phone? Because I, I mean, I've seen I've seen some, you know, folks saying like, oh, you know, watch out for Tencent. You're going to start buying up a bunch of like, you know, um, smaller indie publishers to to like build up their catalog. Um, I mean, there's nothing in here. I don't think there's anything in here about like Tencent having their own streaming service like for the most part, the headline and article talk a lot about supporting the bigger players like Xbox Cloud and, and NVIDIA's GeForce Now, um, with Logitech more focused on the hardware part. Um, so, I mean, it's interesting. Like, I, I mean, it, it's it's you know, ha- like it's definitely one of those experiences. Like, I don't think we've seen this quite yet because really, like, from a cloud perspective, it's been like, okay, let's look at phones, let's look at tablets, that sort of thing. And and I know they're still working like Xbox is still working on like some sort of TV like plug-in thing, like adapter or dongle or whatever. But it's, uh, I think this is, this is bound to happen at some point. So to me, it's like, it's gotta be right price point to compete with everything we already have at our disposal. Whether it's like, you know, the idea of cloud gaming was, Oh, I could just repurpose this really old laptop and play the cloud gaming there. Right. So you're competing with a lot of devices suddenly when you already have like, I mean, I'm talking about you and I, we already have the controllers, we have the phones, but I maybe, I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm being too dismissive and maybe there is an audience there where they just, they just want the the streaming device. I don't know. I could be wrong. It, it's interesting to see so many people trying to enter the space uh, all of a sudden though, it seems, I mean. There must be a market if uh, a lot of folks are are trying to jump in. And I think uh, I, I think it'll be like even as you said, from a handhelds perspective, you have like more higher profile entries ever since the switch. The switch is by no means the first like portable high end system. Like we've had gaming laptops for a long time, but now you have the Steam Deck, you have Logitech getting in on the phone as well with this dedicated cloud gaming handheld they're talking about. It you know I I think it will be interesting to see how that market you know continues and i just love that whatever nintendo does next it might not even be a switch it might be something completely different you know nintendo doesn't like to do the same thing twice (laughs) which is kind of a bummer because i would love a switch too i i think that form factor and that sort of setup i it would be a shame to to leave it behind but um i hope they iterate on it because again like they can they, they seem to be doing it right i mean the steam deck appears to be also doing things right as well so uh we'll we'll see and we'll continue to to keep an eye on uh the developments for this it's it's really just uh it's a couple articles and then there's a sign up form so it's very early days here uh so uh you know you're not going to be able to pre-order one of these anytime soon it's going to take some time but uh that is going to do it for our show tonight as we said Join our Discord, bit.ly slash TGI Discord. We've been talking a lot about Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Uh, Josh, you've actually been setting up some threads for Xenoblade Chronicles 3 to kind of discuss at a chapter-by-chapter basis to sort of, like, keep spoilers uh, for folks that are, you know, wanting to join in the conversation but not wanting to jump in and accidentally discover Chapter 4 spoilers. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the way we have it set up is uh, there's there's one thread for each chapter so once you finish that chapter you can go in and sort of do a you know your reaction to it and see how everyone else reacted um so it's sort of like it's like a like a a review at the end of the chapter it was because there was enough of us in the discord that that didn't want to be spoiled because we were waiting for this game that we sort of we, we sort of wanted to set it up that way so that so that people could could wander in you know at their own pace but but still get get a chance to react with each other yeah I really appreciate that setup because again, I'm going slow. Um, and I, I'm, we were talking pre-show, like I'm not as like worried about spoilers. Obviously I don't want someone to come in and be like, here's the ending, you know, but like I'll ask questions where clearly it's like, you're going to find this out soon, but, but here's, here's what, what's happening. So I've been very good. I've been kind of sticking to the chapters I've completed, but, um, 
Yeah, it's kind of like a like a you know when you're ready, a quick check in. So if you're playing Zetabug Chronicles three, and uh, you finish chapter one, uh, two or three, you can go into those threads and revive them and join the conversation, and everyone who's there will get a notification. So definitely check that out. Uh, but uh, Josh, before we go, why don't you let everybody know where they can find you uh, on the internet? The best place to to follow me would be on Twitter. I'm at Babylon Redeemer. Right. And also Babylon Redeemer in Discord as well. Yes. Perfect. So you can visit us on the web at gamersinpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter. You can find Jocelyn at Joss Plays, myself at Art Murphy, Josh at Babylon Redeemer, and don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers In. Thanks for listening to The Gamers In, and remember, tune in next week.